Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. You said your name this time. Yeah, but I wasn't ready, so <laughs> I, I just had to like say my name. You're never ready when I start recording, and that's why you don't say your name, because you say whatever else you're talking about at that moment. This is a music history podcast, <laughs> where I try and teach music history to Mika, who doesn't really care about it. But I care about you. <laughs> I actually have found myself caring a little bit more. As we're getting into the people you know a little bit more about? N- yeah. Not even that. I don't know. Like, I've I've found myself, like, analyzing music a oh. little bit more. Being like, what is the root of this? <laughs> African Americans. That's the root of pretty much all That's fair. <laughs> popular Americans. Except for the one we're talking about today. But, you know, whatever. Okay. Really, though? Because I don't think I believe you. I mean, there's probably some influence, but (laughs) it's very English, very United Kingdom roots. Lordy. All right. Well, follow us on social media, twitter.com slash soundofhistory with an underscore, facebook.com slash soundofhistory, but we don't really do anything there, but give us reviews and all that stuff. Let us know if we got something wrong so we can correct it. I think that I get things wrong a whole lot. Well, I feel like that's just kind of like why you're here. To get things wrong. I'm supposed to get stuff right, so that's what matters. (laughs) Right, okay. Yeah. Only what you say matters. No, the correctness of only what I say matters. Yeah. Okay, so now Mika is the host. Mika is the host now. What do you have to plug for us today? I wonder if that's really annoying to hear. I mean, no one's heard it more than me, probably, and I'm not terribly annoyed by it. Yeah, but you're not listening to it, like, through headphones. Yeah, I mean, I am when I'm editing. Mika is the host now. That's, no, that's bad. (laughs) Uh, What, is now a good time to just, like, publicly, I mean, publicly in quotations, (laughs) announce my apology for ever judging anyone over trash TV? (laughs) yeah probably i didn't understand i did not understand the bachelor i did not understand any of it and the gate i think that the gateway drug was big brother i do really i do i think that in some ways it can be considered trash tv yeah probably a lot more so reality television could be and then love is blind was just a ride (laughs) <laughs> and and now, now I'm watching Love Island all day, and it's just, it, it just I get it. It's hilarious. People are dumb. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So yeah. That's your sorry. That's your plug. My plug TV. is just is Love yeah, Island. My plug is trash TV, and my anti plug is judging people. <laughs> <laughs> just like what you like, and who cares what people say about it. All right. Are you done with your... I have nothing important to say. (laughs) (laughs) Just Love Island is the only important thing you have to say this week. okay. I rarely have anything important to say. I have nothing interesting to say either. Oh, I like my nails. I would like to plug my nails. (laughs) (laughs) That no one can see. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Mika's no longer (laughs) the host now, I guess. Oh.
why is your segment giving you like an existential crisis right now? Because I am an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you ready to move on to music? Yeah. <laughs> why do you have to think about that? I don't know. Okay. I don't know anything. Brain empty. Well, today we're going to talk about a genre that I really wanted to skip over, but it has its place in American music history and we can't just take it out. So we're going to talk about Well, that bluegrass. is kind of what American history does. Yeah, true. Take out the things that it doesn't want. Yeah. But we shouldn't. So that's <laughs> why we got to talk about the things we don't want to talk about. And for me, that's bluegrass because I don't like it and I've never liked it. I do. But some people really love it. I so. don't really love it, but I like it. I think it's fun. It makes me want to dance. Okay. Like do a jig. I don't know how to jig, but it makes <laughs> me want to jig. Makes you wish you learned how to jig as a kid. Exactly. <laughs> I think I don't like it because I like grew up around it. Like there was a lot of mm. bluegrass in Bristol, Tennessee when I was a kid. And I just never really liked it back then. Still don't. Bluegrass has a lot of the same roots as country music, which we talked about a while ago. Do you? What do you remember about like early country music? You remember anything about it? No. <laughs> I didn't think you would. Just aside from like it being a story, but that yeah. isn't. That's just my knowledge of it. Well, basically, country music evolved naturally in more rural areas of the southern United States. These isolated communities drew on the inspiration of their heritages and cultures to create a music that told their stories using their instruments. It was raw, honest, and culturally significant, which is why it was often called roots music at the time. Bluegrass shares a lot of the same roots along with folk music, but it branches away in some other places. So essentially, country music was like like I think we told the example there was old English folk songs where they would kind of be telling stories about some mythical character from the days of yore or whenever and they would just like set his exploits to music and then early early country music that wasn't recorded but was still played around these communities would have that same tune but they would substitute their own characters as the subject so it just kind of be like telling telling these little folk tales about people like John Bunyan or whatever. Why did they name him John Bunyan? <laughs> he was a real person. What's his name? So his name was Bunyan. Did we name like Foot Bunyans after him? I don't know. Because I don't even think he was a real person. I don't know. That's just unfortunate. Well, Can you imagine well, being the Bunyan person that Bunyans wrote, were named after? I, I'm talking about Paul Bunyan. Is that what I said? No. John Bunyan was the guy who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Paul Bunyan was the folk person, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. So either way, real person <laughs> named Bunyan. Yeah. John Bunyan That's wrote awkward. Pilgrim's Progress. Paul Bunyan was a mythical giant lumberjack. All right. Anyway, so it was like these little folk tales <laughs> set to music. 
And then these people would be like singing songs that kind of told the story of their community and their culture. And then eventually that got recorded in the Bristol sessions. Someone came down there and recorded people doing it. What's the song of my community? You're German, right? Oh, I don't or, want that community. Or Franklin, is that your community? Oh, I don't know if I want that <laughs> community either. You don't get to just decide what your, what your culture is. What if I reject all of it except for nursing? Then nursing culture is also cringe, but like it's not Franklin culture. All right, you can do that, I guess. I renounce Franklin. I don't. I like Franklin. Okay. I just, when I tell people, oh, it's my phone telling me to take penicillin. Oh. Oh my gosh, guys, I have a hole in my tooth. (laughs) And so now I need to um, take penicillin. And and get the infection out so they I can get a root canal. It's really a bummer. In summary, <laughs> Bunyan is a weird name. Nursing culture is cringe. If I tell people I'm from Franklin, they think I am a rich snob. And Nick doesn't like country. Bluegrass. I'm not a huge fan of country either, but I like country a little bit. I like some country. Don't like any bluegrass. So for bluegrass, the immigrants, particularly from the United Kingdom and Ireland, brought over what is considered to be the origins of bluegrass music in the 1600s. Ireland. Yes, the United Kingdom and Ireland. Okay. Irish people like country music, I've learned. (laughs) Okay. Because it's like kind of rural over there too. Yeah. And I mean, it came from And they like drinking. And so. Sure. I mean, I'm making a gigantic like <laughs> assumption here, but that's what we do on this podcast. <laughs> of course, this like culture was also the origins of most other American music, or at least had aspects of it involved. As these immigrants who settled in North Carolina, South Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Virginia, they started to make songs about their day-to-day lives, telling stories and sharing ideas through these songs. So if I just like walk around here and I sing about how I want to eat like toast, is that country music? Probably not now. It's about no. my it's about my everyday life. No, it's probably like more. It might not have been. Probably like more important information and stories. I mean, you get like this was before TV. This was before radio. This was before mm-hmm. like recorded music. They didn't. They couldn't go to the theater. They just had, like, Uncle Billy and his guitar. So they would just sit and play and, like, just try and have fun. And they probably didn't get a lot of, like, sheet music into the area. So they would just make up their own songs. However, bluegrass didn't really get started in America until after World War II. It wasn't a thing until then. Sure, there was country music and western music, but bluegrass was a new thing emerging on the scene from these communities, which I didn't realize before I like started research. I thought bluegrass was like at least as old as country. And mm-hmm. It was just like different strands, but no, it's like a relatively new thing in the world of music. Bluegrass is distinguished from other forms of country music by a syncopated offbeat rhythm, almost exclusively that. acoustic instruments. I love that. A higher pitched lead vocal in tight vocal harmonies. Love that. See, th- like that's <laughs> why I like bluegrass because like I am such a fan of all of those things individually where like I don't love like the 
I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't love the style as a whole, but all the things that make <laughs> up the style, I'm like, yes. You love the elements. You love the ingredients, but not the cake. I love cake. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Bluegrass was also more influenced by jazz and blues than country typically was. That's also probably why I like it better. Yeah. Because country music started around the same time as jazz and existed in communities before jazz was widely popular, especially in those communities, it wasn't really influenced by it. But bluegrass was born after the Roaring Twenties, during the swing era, after the explosion of the Delta Blues. So it had the benefit of taking in all of these influences and adapting them into this new music. It also was like being born in a time where people in these more rural communities could hear this music, probably mm-hmm. not as frequently as they could today, but definitely more so than the 1800s. It's also distinguished by its very heavy focus on the banjo as the primary instrument. Banjos are awesome. They're annoying, <laughs> but like they're so cool. Like me. I'm not cool. <laughs> I'm also not annoying. <laughs> yeah, I am. Other genres definitely were using the banjo, especially like country, but none really used it as the primary lead instrument until bluegrass started doing it. In 1945, a guy named Earl Scruggs developed a style of playing the banjo that revolutionized banjo playing and bluegrass. Picking? I think so. Something like that. And we're going to talk more about Earl Scruggs and like kind of his whole thing next week when we talk about basically the guy who invented bluegrass, so... Earl we'll Scruggs? No. He was oh. Earl Scruggs was in his band. Mm. Earl, from a small town in North Carolina, grew up in a family that all played instruments. At age six, Earl picked up the banjo after hearing one of his uncle's friends play it. But he was too small to hold it. So cute. So he laid it on the ground and moved it around when he needed to play different parts of the neck. Which okay. seems very complicated. So we like slid it up and down? Yeah. Okay. Uh, He played in a few different bands as a teenager, but at the age of 21 was hired to play with Bill Monroe. As we'll learn in a little bit, Bill Monroe was bluegrass. Perhaps more than any other artist in any other genre, bluegrass is forever tied to Bill Monroe and forever will be. What am I forever tied to? Mika's the host now. Oof. No one else can do me because the host now. <laughs> Shouldn't ask questions. I don't want to know the answer to continue. That is your artistic outlet. Yikes. <laughs> it's not my only artistic outlet. It, it kind of is. No, it's not. What continue. else are you doing? Journaling. What art are you doing that I don't know about? Journaling. Well, that's and true. makeup. That is true. Yeah. You're being so mean to that cat. I am not. I just don't want to laugh right now. I will cuddle you. Earl Scruggs banjo playing with Bill Monroe, which came to be called Scruggs style, like his typical way of playing the banjo. So I'm still confused about that. Does he continue to like slide it up and down? No, like that was when he was a kid and he couldn't hold it. Right. But we're we're getting we're gonna explain. So we a don't bit know more. his special technique yet. No, it wasn't we're going, sliding it up I, and down. Literally, the rest of the sentence is his technique, <laughs> which came to be I'm called. I'm just building suspense. 
called a Scrug style, featured a three-finger roll that allowed for faster tempo and note playing that could keep up with the faster tempo of bluegrass music. That's like the opposite of picking. Yeah, I think so. But anyway, <laughs> here's a video of Earl Scruggs playing, so you can kind of see what's happening here. Is he the guy in the hat? No, he's that guy. Oh, in in the hat, that guy well, in yeah, the hat. But not the other guy in the hat. I can't even see him doing it. He's moving so fast. Yes, that's like I don't play the banjo, so I don't know how to differentiate differentiate other styles of banjo playing. And I feel like most people who know banjo playing like this is kind of what they associate it with so god it's so fast did all of them do cocaine (laughs) (laughs) all right well that was he's done playing now there's a fiddler so yeah it's impressive that was earl scruggs playing banjo We'll talk more about Bill Monroe in the next episode, but it's necessary to mention him here at least a little bit. He and his brother Charlie were one of the most popular country acts in the 30s, but they went their separate ways in 1938. Bill formed his own band, and being from Kentucky, which was known as the Bluegrass State, he decided to name his band Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. They first played at the Grand Ole Opry in 1939, and some people say that that performance was the official birth of bluegrass as a genre. I love being close to the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah, a lot of history in it. Do you want to see Bill Monroe playing at the Grand Ole Opry in sure. 1939? Here you go. It I might just be a recording. Grand Ole Opry. No. I think it's. I think it's a recording. I don't think it's a. For this yeah, evening you don't on get the, Grand to see the Grand Ole Opry. Sorry. Oh. Bill Monroe and his bluegrass boys from up in dear pants. old Kentucky. And the number's a hot one, the Mule like Skinner parachute Blue. Pants Let it go, Bill. Sk- parachute pants on top, <laughs> skinny jeans on the bottom. This was before Earl Scruggs came to the Good morning, Captain. And those ties are very Good morning, Do we need another music? Those aren't rain boots. Those are just boots. Out on your new like, like, not like cowboy boots. Ladies, though. think back to like 2018. Skinny jeans and the boots that go like to just under your knee. That's what these guys are wearing. But then the top half of their pants are like, like. I like working. I'm rolling all the time. And a belt and a and a button up white uh shirt and a very short tie. All of them. And a hat. All of them. That was Bill Monroe playing at the Grand Ole Opry in nineteen thirty nine, which is I didn't listen. Potentially the very first bluegrass thing. It might have been the birth of bluegrass. I should have paid more attention to like the backbeat and stuff. There were not harmonies. Well, you got it. This is very early. Like some people don't even think this is bluegrass. So this is way different than what bluegrass would be. Because this like, as we'll learn when we talk about Bill Monroe, he's very like experimental. He's trying new things. He's moving things around. So like he doesn't quite land on what he wants it to be for a while. 
So some people call that the birth of bluegrass, but others say that the official bluegrass sound didn't start until 1945 when Earl Scruggs joined the band and revolutionized the use of the banjo. I would agree with that statement. Okay. Based on my knowledge (laughs) that you've just told me. Bill Monroe was known for really experimenting and developing string-based songs. He was well known for his mandolin playing. Between 1945 and 1948, more and more bands started to spring up who were playing Bill's new style of country. Most of these bands featured guys who played with Bill Monroe and learned the style directly from him. So he, like, he create he was like creating the style with band members, and the band members would leave and start new bands that basically played the same exact style that they learned from Bill Monroe. So he's just birthing all these little copycat bands. <laughs> But in the late 1940s, when this music started to really develop, it existed only in small southern communities in the Appalachian region and on small radio stations with not large reach. It didn't exist to the larger mainstream world, aside from Bill Monroe playing on the Grand Ole Opry and his success. So no one really knew that this was like an emerging sound because Mm -hmm. it was kind of... Because it was so like bubbleized. Yeah. I don't know what contained means, but maybe it's similar to bubble eyes. <laughs> During this point, bluegrass wasn't really a thing on its own. At first, it was classified under folk, and then it shifted to be called country western. But it wasn't its own genre, which is wild. Like, this is 1948. Bluegrass yeah. wasn't a genre. Wow. So some say Bill's performance at the Opry in 1939 was the birth of bluegrass. Some say Earl Scruggs joining Bill in 1945 was the birth. And there's no question that the bluegrass boys from 1945 to 1948 were the most iconic and influential bluegrass group of all time. But some say that 1948 was the birth of bluegrass when the Stanley brothers recorded Molly and Tinbrooks. Who's that? Molly and Tinbrooks is the name of a song. The Stanley Brothers were the group who did it. Yeah, but who's it about? Well, we're about to listen to it. Oh my god. They look even better. <laughs> now we've upgraded to like suits with like tuxedo oh, shirts with black buttons. Again, not listening and the to the music, commenting on their style. Yeah, but like the style is so good. See that train coming, coming round that curve. See Molly running, straining every nerve, straining every nerve. Oh Lord, straining every nerve. What copper, copper, something that right? Molly's beating ten rope, clear out of sight, clear out of sight. Was another. Potentially Birth of Bluegrass, but I don't think that can be called the Birth of Bluegrass because Bill Monroe and his Bluegrass Boys are already playing very similar stuff to this if they're, for if three the years prior to this. the title of the band says Bluegrass, yeah. then I think that that's a pretty solid indicator. I don't know if we talk about it in this episode or in the next one, but it's literally named Bluegrass because they started doing festivals and they were like, well, we got to call this something. So they like started calling it the Bluegrass Festivals because Bill Monroe was the oldest person there. <laughs> Wait, what's that have to do with bluegrass? I, we'll see. We'll see. We can talk about it eventually. So okay. we'll get there. 
Okay. I don't want to like have to repeat myself later. I'm intrigued. Towards the end of the 1940s, Earl Scruggs and another member left the Bluegrass Boys to form their own band called Flats and Scruggs. Was the other guy's name Flats? No. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, okay. It was as- actually just Rascal Flats and Earl Scruggs. Oh, no. <laughs> this group did more than anyone else to introduce bluegrass at a national scale. They started to introduce bluegrass through radio, television performance, and even in the movies. In the 60s, which is going a bit beyond where we're like currently at discussing American music. Welcome to the 60s. <laughs> but I don't really see us talking about bluegrass again on the show. Like we're not going to dedicate a whole nother episode to it. So we're going to cover it a little bit now. Flats and Scruggs released a song called Foggy Mountain Breakdown which was featured on the soundtrack for her movie called Bonnie and Clyde. This song became basically the quintessential bluegrass instrumental and took the genre to another level nationally. Like, this is the song that everyone knows. Do I know it? I don't know. It'll probably sound familiar. Here is the Foggy Mountain Breakdown. That's Earl. That's too many banjos. <laughs> Never have too many banjos. There are at least seven, eight, nine. <laughs> at least nine, I think ten banjos. I think it's really only picking up Earl. With a mic in front of his banjo. Right. No, I want to keep judging these people. Wait, I said I shouldn't judge people. Yeah, we're moving on. That's Foggy okay. Mountain Break. I, they co- probably could have found a better like recorded, but you like watching people play live. So I I'm do. trying to find live when I can. Thank you. Also in the 60s, the idea of a bluegrass festival first became a thing. So this is what we were talking about. I've been to a bluegrass festival, I think. I have, definitely. Because they're all over Bristol. I wish that instead I went to like Bonnaroo. But instead, That's that Franklin culture coming out of you. Shut up. <laughs> the Franklin one is... um. Oh, damn it. You're telling me Franklin high schoolers didn't grow up going to Bonnaroo? I don't know. I, I didn't go to Franklin High. I'm talking about the city of Franklin I don't high school. <laughs> I didn't know. I wasn't cool. I didn't know what cool people did. <laughs> Damn it. What's the one in Franklin called? I don't know. That like. I know. It's the better than Ezra guy made it with yeah. Justin. But I don't yeah. remember what it's called. Frick. I don't like festivals. So I don't know. I I, I do. I've never been, but I want to. But I've been to a bluegrass festival. <laughs> Yeehaw. Okay. So these started becoming a thing in the 60s. The idea is attributed to a guy from North Carolina named Carlton Haney, who planned and produced the first bluegrass festival in 1965 in Virginia. It was a weekend-long festival featuring bands and musicians all playing together when previously they were competing for the same audience. And it wasn't a very large audience for them to compete. Mm -hmm. What? 
pilgrimage. Okay. Yeah. Fun side note, Carlton Haney was called the P.T. Barnum of bluegrass. Is there going to be a movie musical about him too? (laughs) I highly doubt it. Because of his large personality. He was really influential in bluegrass and helped the careers of several prominent country artists, including including the Osborne brothers, Merle Haggard, and Loretta Lynn. I know Merle Haggard. Yeah, probably know Loretta Lynn too. Yeah, but Haggard came first, so. <laughs> so he was a he was a big deal just kind of behind the scenes. He wasn't a performer, but he was okay. doing a lot of organizing and stuff. Bluegrass festivals were massively popular and really helped elevate the genre. Before them, bluegrass had a small audience spread across rural communities in the Appalachian region. But now it became somewhat national, or at least it got way more publicity than it it had ever had before. The festivals could be recorded and broadcasted, and since they featured basically every important artist in the genre, they had a higher likelihood of getting airtime. So it really helped promote the genre. Just seems like a really like unique position mm-hmm. where it's like you can have pretty much every prominent artist in a genre appear at one weekend festival. Because there's not that many of them. That's very cool. Like you can't do that. Like try and have every prominent hip hop artist. They do try. It'd be like a month long festival at this point. There's so many of them going so many different ways. They also led this also like the, the festivals led to the genre getting a name. Ralph Stanley who was one of the Stanley brothers that we listened to earlier. Uh, Yeah, they released that song, the Molly and Tin Brooks. He said, Monroe was the first, but it wasn't called bluegrass back then. It was just called old-time mountain hillbilly music. Oh, my God. (laughs) When they started doing the bluegrass festivals in 1965, everybody got together and wanted to know what to call the show, you know. It was decided that since Bill was the oldest man, and was from the bluegrass state of Kentucky, and he had the bluegrass boys, it would be called bluegrass. So that's how this genre came to be called bluegrass, because they needed to know but what to call it. But they already called festival. Kentucky a bluegrass. Oh, so, like, is Kentucky literally a state of bluegrass? Is that the... Well, bluegrass is, like, a thing. I don't... Is it a type of grass? I think so, or at least, like, a type of flat... <laughs> I hit the caps lock and look where I hit the caps lock. <laughs> Blue grass. <laughs> that was a very weird time. <laughs> but seriously, if Kentucky is, is named real? after a type of grass, that's just really sad. It's a smooth meadow grass or common oh meadow God. grass. is a perennial species of grass native to practically all of Europe, North Asia, and the mountains of Algeria and Morocco. Is that really the best that Kentucky had to offer us? I mean, I guess. Yikes. We're the volunteer state. For, I mean, we're, Florida's a sunshine state. Like... Yeah, but sunshine is better than grass. The nicknames aren't great in America. Like the what? Like Oklahoma. We're we're volunteers. Is Texas the Lone Star State? I think so. Or is that Oklahoma? I think it's Texas. Texas. But like, what does that even mean? I don't know. It's a one star. They have one star in Texas. (laughs) These names just don't make sense. Listen, buddy. There's only room for one of us here. It's gonna be me. I'm the star (laughs) of Texas. What is New York's? Empire State. New York. Okay. I'm going to try and cut off your singing. We're almost done. Hang in there. It's a shorter episode. 
In the early 70s, a band called the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band released a three-part album <laughs> called Will the Circle Be Unbroken? I know about this. Yeah, and it's considered something of a landmark album in bluegrass. It featured artists like Roy Acuff and Maybelle Carter. Remember Maybelle Carter? I love Maybelle exactly. Carter. Exactly. <laughs> and Earl Scruggs. It was responsible for bringing in a lot of new eyes to bluegrass, and it kind of started like a little bit of a bluegrass revolution in the 70s. Here's one of the songs from that album that they did with Earl Scruggs. Is Will the Circle Be Unbroken from a poem? It's an old gospel song. Doesn't it just make you want to, like, get up and, like... No. Just run. <laughs> just run away. Yes. <laughs> really fast. Makes me want to run get out of us. the vicinity of this music. All right. That's one of the things it's that... It's so fast. Yeah. Well, it's that was Earl Scruggs. It's so fast. Once a small community music played only by Bill Monroe and his Bluegrass Boys... Bluegrass is now known and loved by people all over the world. You know, honestly, it really sounds like, I don't know who this Bill Murray guy is, but <laughs> it really sounds like Earl Scruggs is the guy who like Bill came Monroe. up with <laughs> bluegrass. Now I want to see Bill Murray playing bluegrass. <laughs> but is it like, see, you know, no, like here's, here was my issue when I was writing this episode. Bill Monroe is so tied to the birth of bluegrass that like I can't really talk much about the start of bluegrass without telling his story, but his story is next episode. So I didn't want to like re say the same things two weeks in a row. So I Yeah, I've, but Earl Scruggs is the guy who like came up with the style of banjo playing and Yeah, like, the style of one instrument. Bill Monroe came up with all the yeah, other styles of every other instrument. But like just banjo is bluegrass. <laughs> just wait until you hear Bill Monroe's story, and okay. then we'll see if you still. Th but like, but I, like he's the guy who got it on like a national stage. Like it really. Yeah, that doesn't mean he created it. There's a lot of people who got things national. They didn't. Elvis got rock and roll at a national level. He didn't create rock and roll. It's just it was hard. It was a hard balance to try and strike with bluegrass because like, I don't know. It's really hard to tell the story of the birth of bluegrass without telling. Bill Monroe's story, but I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to like just repeat the same episode twice. So I, that's why I focused in on Earl because he's the only, he's the other prominent guy to talk about. That's fair. Could have focused on the Stanley Brothers, I guess, but you know, I no, feel like they kind of just stole Bill Monroe's style. So next week we'll talk about Bill Monroe and you'll see a little bit more what his impact and influence was. And we'll see if you think he should be the father of bluegrass. Do you know what I'm picturing in my head? What? I'm picturing... Love Island, probably? No. I'm <laughs> picturing the gif of... Rob Lowe from Parks and Rec going... <laughs> I'm pretty sure you made that same reference in our country music episode. <laughs> well, I think about Rob Lowe a lot, and okay? <laughs> you demanded I find that gif and post it on Twitter. 
and it was tricky to do. <laughs> what do you mean it was tricky to do? It's like, everywhere. Twitter has its bank of gifts that you can easily post, and that's not one of them. So I had it to like go be. hunt it down and try and save it and upload. It was it was a mess. Oh, your life is so hard. It was. I don't like being on Twitter longer than I have to be. <laughs> anyway, I now I now resend my previous comment from country, <laughs> and I apply it to bluegrass. Therefore, I need you to post that gif again. I'll just find the old one and retweet it. <laughs> we don't tweet that often. It shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, that's bluegrass. Next Problem. week, we talk about Bill Monroe, which will give you a better understanding about bluegrass, I think, than this one did. And then we'll I talk about the Rat Pack. I was promised harmonies, and I didn't get any harmonies. Yeah. I mean, you got a lot of instrumental. Not a lot. You got harmonies with the Molly and the Tin Brooks. They sang harmonies a little bit. Did they? A little bit. There's only two of them, so not a not a whole lot, but you know. But I think Bill Monroe's band has more harmonies. We'll see. Okay. And then we talk about the Rat Pack. I love that. And then I don't know what's after that, <laughs> so we'll see. Somebody's got to get to writing. Yeah, well, I mean, there's six or seven Rat Pack episodes, so I think That's we're fine. That's so many. I'm so excited. Yeah, I mean, there's Peter Lawford and the other guy whose name I forgot, Sammy Davis. Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, and then we're, I think we're going to do a bonus episode on Nat King Cole, because why not? So that's like six episodes, I think. And then weren't there some like actors that were in the Rat Pack too? Well, that's like the first two. Okay. As Peter Lawford and oh, the other guy who had a complex about always being forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot him. <laughs> Gene something I don't know well where he's he gets a whole okay. half of an episode so we'll talk about him oh my goodness all right join I'm us excited. next week or bye whenever. hope you have a great week I hope it's lovely 